Welcome to Deep Spirituality. It's great to have everybody out there. I hope you listened to our last podcast, which is really our introduction to how to have a quiet time. That seems like a boring or a basic title, but the reality of it is that there is a great deal of inspiration and a great deal of depth that we can probe in examining this subject. Today we have with us uh, Martin Oji and Nick Roby. They're joining me uh, to discuss what it means to have a quiet time. We're going to try to dig into the meaning of it. And our goal today is to be able to, um, in two parts really, to be able to um, inspire you uh, the way we've tried to be inspired about reading our Bible every day and about praying. I want to begin by uh, pointing you to the How to Have a Quiet Time post, which should be landing in the next six or seven days within that time period. You'll be able to read it, but I want to read the intro to you, and we're going to discuss that intro and what it's about and the questions and thoughts that uh, Nick and, and Martin have. How to Have a Quiet Time, Psalm 37, verse 4, in the Passion Translation. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide for you what you desire the most. There are four things I remember about spending the summer in Tennessee with my grandmother. There were two things that caused me to stress and two that caused delight. The red dirt that stained my clothes and debilitating heat that sapped my soul were the source of distress. What were the two things that caused delight to my nine-year-old soul? They were two phrases previously unfamiliar to me. One evening, my grandmother spoke these phrases in sweet resonance when she named White Castle and Krispy Kreme as the chosen destinations for our dinner. These words had no meaning until we arrived at White Castle to enjoy the smallest and most delightful burger of my young life, the pickles, mustard, ketchup, onions, and speed with which I could evaporate one burger after another provided me with the utmost joy. Then we walked next door to the place called Krispy Kreme where I could see the Willy Wonka-like factory of delights producing what for me were the most extraordinary donuts I'd ever smelled. When I saw and tasted the chocolate frosted glazed donut, it was a revelatory experience. My eyes were open. Life became more delightful than ever before. My experience and memory of my first White Castle and Krispy Kreme night still resides in my soul as one of the most delightful experiences of my young life, which is why I share this story. When we spend time with God, it should be the most delightful experience of our day, anticipated, cherished, and then savored. Whether the day is good or bad, hard or easy, painful or pleasurable, It is the morning time with God that should help us sing with joy or endure with gritty determination. This is what it means to have a quiet time. And in the paragraphs that follow, my ambition is to share with you what I've learned from God and those he has sent into my life to teach me how to have a quiet time. That is the introduction to the article or paper that you can read online in the next few days. And it's going to be the bulk of the discussion that I have with uh, Martin and Nick, who are going to have a lot of ideas and insights of their own. And I'll just start them off with this question. Is there, are there any questions you have from reading How to Have a Quiet Time? Are there any insights or thoughts that you guys had on your own that you went, man, 
this idea of delighting in God and being excited about God and getting great pleasure from God, I got to nail that. I want to inspire others to nail that. What'd you think? At first, I thought it was really inspiring. Uh, when I read it, it kind of took me back to, you know, when I first became a Christian and uh, I lived in Belmont and I was I was 17 years old, uh-huh. freshman in college, completely undisciplined, went to bed late all the time. But I remember I would just always, no matter how late I went to bed, I I, I was inspired to wake up early and go to my mountain spot. Like my, I would go up to the hill yeah, yeah. in Belmont. And it, I loved the fog and it was oh, just cool. me. And, and I just remembered delighting and just enjoying my time with God. Right. And uh, it was very inspiring. And I loved it because then I had no title of leadership. It was just me and God and and. That really motivated me. So I, I like to go back to that time. Yeah. And because um, I felt like that was a pure motivation just to be with God. And I enjoyed it. So kind of took me back to that and uh, made me reflect and made me question, hmm, how much do I enjoy it now after yeah. 18 years? Like, do I still enjoy my time to God like that? And what gave you the idea to, 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 to do that in Belmont? What made, gave you the idea to have that kind of a quiet time? What motivated you to do it then? You know, it was Mark chapter 1, verse, I believe, 35. Uh, and Jesus talked about waking up early, going out to a solitary place where you prayed. And I read that. And I never read that before. And I'm right. like, man, I, I want to do that. Yeah. I want to go out early when no one is around and just, you know, connect with God. So right. that was the scripture that kind of got me going. Did you Did you learn anything from other people? Because that's part of what helped me is talking to other people about what they were doing, hearing about what they were doing, or was it just that moment with Mark 1 where you went, wow, this is what Jesus did, I'm going to try to do that. doesn't matter which one it is to me, but I'm just wondering if people had an influence or if you just kind of read it and went, man, I'm going to go do that. You know, it's an interesting question because I, I was hanging out with some friends and someone brought that scripture up and I had never read it. Yeah. And so the person was talking, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about that scripture. So I went back and read it. On my own. Yeah. So obviously it was someone who influenced me in, in college. Yeah. And so I took that back and I'm like, man, I'm going to make this something that I do for myself. And one of the reasons I think it's important is because a lot of times, it, just like we're doing here, you, you can't wait to hear a speech or a, a sermon or from someone that you think is, you know, galactically spiritual or something. Really, I know for me, a lot of what changed my life in regard to my relationship with God is the people I was talking to and the conversations that we had about our challenges with reading the Bible, our challenges with praying, our you know our challenges with feeling like we were connecting to God, we were aware of His presence. Uh, the 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 stages of am I feeling emotion toward God or am I just doing this ritualistically? And I I wonder sometimes if people are having those kind of conversations. Sometimes we sit down, especially the older we get, and we have so many anxieties about life, and we're trying to figure out. When do I take the car to get an oil change and how do I pay rent? And we have so many things on our mind. We don't ever sit down with our friends and say, hey, when's the last time you felt like you had one of these incredibly inspired experiences that stayed with you in your relationship with God? But that, 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 that's why I'm glad we're having this talk and, and having this conversation about the meaning of a quiet time because you can't find meaning alone. You have to talk to other people here, like Martin talked about his creativity, but Nick, what are you thinking about all this? Yeah, so I think as as I was reading, I really liked the the story that you gave about the the Krispy Kreme 
in White Castle. <laughs> Me um, too. And, uh, and 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 even that concept that you brought up at the beginning of of there's a connection almost between the the distress and the delight. Yeah. At least in my life. Yeah. Um. And and even in my times with God. But I remember actually specifically a, a meal of mine that I loved. I, I was coming back from India. It was like a 30-hour trip back from India. Right. And I was super tired. I couldn't sleep on the plane. I was feeling horrible. I was sick. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, it was me and my friend. We were coming back, and we landed. And as soon as we landed, we were like, we're going to go get some deep dish pizza. <laughs> and, um, and it That's probably, right. That's <laughs> right. That works. <laughs> that works. It probably was not good for our stomach. Um, but But it was the best meal. I've ever had in my entire life, uh, because I think there's that 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 connection between yeah. the distress yes. and the delight, yeah, and and just going through all that distress before the meal, yeah. and being able to sit down and enjoy yeah. that meal, even though I wasn't feeling good, there was so much delight there. But I think I see that also in my times with God, that a lot of the times that I end up really enjoying my times with God, or even thinking back to the times that I found delight in God, right. um, actually happened when there were things going on in my life that made me feel distressed. Uh, like I remember specifically, I was on, I was on a trip away from my family. I was, I was in college, Yeah. but I remember getting phone calls from my parents about just a lot of troubles going on at the house, Yeah. Uh, emotional health, uh, special needs, just things that were going on. Right. That I felt, I felt almost like a shame that I wasn't there to be there for them sure. to help out That's natural. To, to protect my family. And, uh, on that trip, that was when I remember just going out, waking up 5 a.m. early in the morning and yeah. just crying out to God because I felt like there was nothing I could do right. except talk to God about it. And even now when I look back on that, I actually remember those moments with with delight Yes, because um, I found so much comfort and peace with God. And, and even that you talked about gritty determination yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and being able to endure. But I, I think at the same time, uh, while there was that determination to endure with God or to, to love my family, there also was a sense of joy that came because I felt like Man, God really is, you know, close to the brokenhearted. Yes, it talks about. Uh, so, that that was something that really stood out to me. Just that I think what's cool there. is what you're describing. Later in the in the uh, the article, there's a section about finding sacred space, which we won't necessarily talk about today. But when you describe going and getting the deep dish pizza, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You go through a bunch of difficulty, and I think the Bible describes God as a refuge, a fortress. He has a lot of descriptions that sanctuary that mean that when you enter into that space, some of us who like sports and play sports and talk about sports as we were doing before the podcast started, when you were predicting the Pelicans were going to win the NBA championship. Right? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> fantasy, <laughs> fantasy. Wow. Yeah. Actually, he just said get to the playoffs, but I, embe- <laughs> I, embe- I embellished that Put a little the record bit. Straight. But <laughs> they talk a lot about it in sports, the Olympics, NBA, NFL, soccer, um, being in the zone. And those of us who watch Michael Jordan play, mm. he could get into a zone, a mm-hmm. level where, as the great psychiatrist, forget his name, I don't know how to say his name, but he writes about flow. Mm-hmm. And mm. you get into a flow where your focus is so complete, the movement is so natural. Right. And I think that's what it's like when you enter the sanctuary of God, two things happen. You become aware of his presence being with you, and then you become aware of the power. And even as you were mm-hmm. describing, and I know I've been through the same thing where you have family challenges and things go on where, you know, you have to go to the hospital for some kind of a, a challenge, which we've had to do. When you can get in that sanctuary and you can know the presence with you, but you also know you have power. You know that through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life, 
you can alter things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why the distress fades away. Right. Is typically we feel human helplessness. Mm-hmm. Like I can't figure this out. I'm not a surgeon. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a multimillionaire. I can't mm-hmm. make this problem go away. But I enter this sanctuary. I enter the presence of God, and suddenly I have the capacity to alter history. Right. And that's really what it means to have a great relationship with God. And later on in the paper, I talk about Daniel 9, and that's literally what happens in Daniel chapter 9. I think one of my great concerns about when people have quiet times is they don't understand that they've entered that, spa- that deep right. dish pizza space. <laughs> they've entered that space where I'm about to take something here, and I've had Chicago deep dish. I'm about to eat something here that's going to take every ounce of pain away. Mm -hmm. The the pure delight of being in the presence of that pizza for you, the (laughs) way you described it. Same with me with Krispy Kreme and White Castle. I think a lot of people don't have those analogies to their relationship with God. So, But the the Bible says it all the time. It talks about like oil pouring on me, like the showers of rain, the refreshment. It has all these analogies it gives you to tell you what it's like to be in the presence of God. And so I think when it comes to the meaning of a quiet time, you both have described it really well. It should take you to another level. It should take you to another place. It should allow you to, the Bible uses the word transcend, mm. which is to rise above your environment, your circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. And so I like, I like all of that. I like all those things you're talking about. I I have mean, a, go I ahead. Have a, yeah, I have a, a scripture that I was thinking about even, even with this that Love came it. to mind as we were talking, but it's in Psalm 42 where it talks about, as the deer pant, pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Yeah. And so I just I just like that analogy because I know even in that psalm, it's someone who's going through a lot in, That's their, right. in their life and in their emotions. And, That's right. And, and for the, they had this yearning and desire to, to go to God, but it, I just like how it even talks about it in terms of the same way that we thirst for something to, to quench our thirst. Absolutely. Yeah. Is what our, 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 we feel, you know, uh, deep in our hearts for God in those moments. And so that, that, uh, that was really cool to me. Just to I think that's that. a perfect scripture for that, for, for, for talking about what that means. And I think that's a lot of what Matthew five, the Sermon on the Mount talks about when he says we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We often see righteousness is about performance. Right. If I sinned or not sin, if I've done something right or not done something right. But when you look at righteousness from the span of Genesis to revelation, it's about relationship, not performance. So I can, I can sin against one of you guys. But if we make that right, that's the righteousness. Right. It's not the absence of sin or the failure to be to do what's right. Mm. It's the capacity to make right whatever needs to be made right and keep the relationship connected. And so I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by trying to perform, and that also keeps them having great quiet times because they're sitting there going, okay, I'm going to look at the clock. I promised God I would pray and read for 30 minutes today. So that's not a relationship. Right. That's a workout. That's like going to the gym. I'm going to go work out for 30 minutes today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's, that's a duty and a responsibility. That's not a relationship. But going back to what you, you, know, you were talking about, Martin, going up on the, sort of the mountain and being with God and having that grand connection, but thinking about what you did, Nick, with your friend having the pizza, that's a relationship. What we were doing before, talking about basketball, talking about the NBA and predicting what would happen, that's a relationship. And I think for a lot of people, at least maybe you guys can tell me I'm wrong, I'm not sure everybody always sits down with their Bible and goes out to pray and realizes I'm building a relationship. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe people really do think that. No, I think you're absolutely right because when I was reading the article, what got me was you talked about a number of things that we go to our quiet times for 
to feel better, to, you know, to get smarter, to, you know, have the right answer. But the most important thing is actually going to learn about God, to yeah. know God, to right. connect with God. Right. And I think for myself and for many people I talk to, it's very easy to lose sight of that. Like it's not just, you know, to make myself feel better, but it's actually getting to know God. And interesting enough, when I get to know God, I, yeah, sometimes I feel other things, but I usually come out way more excited and way more confident. Uh, so it's very easy to lose sight of actually having your quiet times for the sake of, I want to connect with God. Yes. And that it makes me think about what Nick was talking about, the connection between the distress and the delight. I, I, I think about uh, think about the first wedding I ever officiated. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> I was still single. And... Uh, and I was preparing. Initially, the guy was like, hey, can you and this other guy do it? So I, I felt n- less nervous. I'm like, I got me and my friend, and we'll do it together. Uh-huh. And then, like, two days before, he's like, hey, actually, Martin, I just want you to officiate the wedding. I'm like, oh, boy. And then the wedding happened to be at a big service we have, a shoreline, the same day. So I had responsibilities, and I was so nervous. And then I was still dating Jeanette, and she was angry at me because we got into some—I probably did something— <laughs> so I probably did something wrong and uh, she was mad at me so I'm like okay got no love for my girlfriend I'm super stressed out and I've got to fish it of my first wedding as a single guy what am I gonna say yeah yeah but I remember going by the water and just praying and telling God how nervous stressed out I was but I felt completely at peace mm. completely confident and I'm like you know I'm gonna go and I'm just gonna I was prepared. Um, I'm just going to go and I'm going to have a great time. I literally walked in and, you know, it was a great time. People thought I was been doing a bunch of weddings, but that's my wow. first one. At the end, you know, I didn't mess up because I was supposed to say, you may not kiss your bride. Yeah. I said, you may not kiss the proud. And then <laughs> everybody's rolling. And everybody well. starts laughing. But I felt, <laughs> then I corrected myself from proud to pride. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's but, just that but everybody laughed, though. Everybody's laughing. <laughs> it's fun. And, but it was a great time. And, and li- so <laughs> That's hilarious. when I connect with God, like that time was, I just was honest with God. And that mm. bonded me and God. Oh, my God, I just need your help. Mm. And it went from a distressful thing to I, I delight. I still think about it. It was a, an amazing time. Right. And I try to take that to, you know, I live in San Francisco. I live in the Presidio. I love going on my walks out in the woods. Yeah. And that's nice. Uh, just it's beautiful, and it's, there's no one there. It's just me and coyotes, and <laughs> but it's pretty amazing just to go out there. And when I'm in the right mindset of getting to, trying to get to know God, it's a much better spot. I'm in a much yeah. better place spiritually than just yeah. trying to get something done. So yeah, I think I think for me, I I do I have a hard time with having a quiet time for a relationship with God um, because growing up it was something that. I actually heard my parents having, and so I knew that that was something that they were doing, and so I heard about it as a kid right. without knowing what it was, and 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 it was almost a thing that I did because that's what they did, or I thought I was supposed to do, and so that can even carry over to today, is spending this time with God out of uh, I, this is this is something I'm supposed to do, or or a lot of times too, I'm a very, I combine that with the fact that I'm a very self-consumed person and a very self-reliant person. Mm-hmm. And so even my times with God can be less focused on God and, and therefore less focused on the relationship right. and more about 
what what is God? What can God do for me in this time that I can then go out and and do do good things or yeah. perform right or yeah. accomplish? Things? And it's all it's almost like about my self improvement. Yeah. As opposed to kind of what you're talking about was when you're in that sanctuary, it's God that actually moves things. And I spend the time going, "Hey, God, tell me what to do so I can move it." Right. And, and that's and that's not that's we've not all, the relationship, the, the, yep. the connection. But I, I, it's easy for me to go in that space. And yeah. it's also the last thing I think it's really easy for me to be consumed by by other other people. Oh boy, what other people think about me, yeah. or feel, or and even in my times with God, I'm just I'm I'm constantly thinking about people. What are they going to think about it? Did right. I? Did I work through this enough to go have this conversation? Are they going to ask me if I prayed about it? Or yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and and I'm constantly thinking about people, even when it's supposed to be a quiet time where right. it's me and God, yeah. and it's me and God alone. People are still in it yeah. because I'm constantly putting them in it in yeah. my own emotions and in my own mind. So that's something that I'm constantly having to work through. So I think that's well, where I have a hard let's, time. These, you guys are talking about some really awesome things. I'm just going to insert some. Um, items that people can go and study in their own Bible that connect with what you guys say. And we'll keep on going because this is, I think, tremendous. I hope it's tremendous for those of you who are listening. What we're trying to do right now is not produce some kind of a sermon or some kind of a whatever. We're just trying to have a conversation. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we can learn. I've had a lot of people who like listening to the podcast who tell me the thing they enjoy the most is the conversation because they feel like they learn how to talk to each other about spiritual things. Mm. Um, some people listen and may want, you know, Hey, give me a bunch of scriptures and all that. Well, you can go to www.deepspirituality.net and you can read all you want. There's tons. And this, like I said, this is going to, uh, how to have a quiet time is going to be released and it's, it's going to have a lot of, uh, content for you to study, but it also have connected content that supplements it. You'll have some videos and you'll have some of these podcasts that'll be coming along. This is the second of a few more to come, but let's, uh, just put some, Bible out there that people can go and study. And I want to pick up where Nick was talking about, because I write a lot about this because it's gone on in my life for so long. People and, and, and taking over your quiet time. This is not about not liking people. It's about liking people a lot so much that they're in your head 24-7. And the problem with that is that in Psalm 10 uh, is a good passage, just a good psalm to study, because it talks about making room in your heart for God. And one of the most challenging things to do when you sit down and have a quiet time to find meaning is to get everything out of your head except Mm -hmm. God. Now, it doesn't mean you don't think about anything else, but if I'm going to think about Martin, it's going to be to pray for him. It's not going to be to worry about what he thinks about me. And and so that's clearing your your head there. I think when you were talking, Nick, I thought about the passage I studied and still study a lot, and the guy I study a lot in the Bible and relate to a lot is Jacob. And in Genesis 32, I think it's often overlooked when it talks about wrestling with God it actually says he wrestles with God and man. And God says, I'm no longer going to call you Jacob, which means deceiver, but I'm going to have you call you Israel. And Israel means one who has wrestled with God and man and overcome. So it's not just to have a great relationship with God. You can't just wrestle with God and what he means and who he is to you. You also have to wrestle with people and what they mean and who they are to you. And my view is that, and this will sound a little hokey and maybe a little cliche, but it, it works. I think God is meant to be worshiped people are meant to be loved. That doesn't mean right. we don't love God. We love God, but there's 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 confusion occurs when we start worshiping people and mm-hmm. only loving God. And so I love God, but I'm worshiping people, so I can't keep my head on straight. Right. And I've been around longer than both of you, probably almost combined, I think, close. And um, what, I, what distresses me is that people don't understand there is no 
sermon, no YouTube, no book, no article, no human being, no friend, no counselor, no therapist, no drug that can do for us what God can do. And I just think that it's easy to lose that. It's easy. Right. It doesn't mean that we don't. It doesn't mean that we don't take our blood pressure medication. It doesn't mean that we don't need to work out and be healthy. It doesn't mean we don't do our homework. It doesn't mean you know. I'm not right. saying any yeah. of that. But I think sometimes we don't understand. God is so rivaled in our heart yeah. and head that. And I know for me, even this morning, I can be anxious about so many things. Like I can make a list of ten things in in about thirty seconds that are like critically urgent and. You know, if I don't do something, if I don't do something about this today, my whole life's going to fall apart. If I don't have, I got to get my kids set up so they can go to college, get my kids set up to, so they have a good life, quality life. I, I hope I don't die. You know, I mean, it, all mm-hmm. these things. And what I realize is it just, it's a war against God. So I think wrestling in Genesis 32, and, and you really want to read all about Jacob because his journey is incredible uh, as someone who learned how to walk with God. Um, so, so I think, I think for people who are looking and saying, well, I really want to read uh, an extraordinary book on relationship with God. This is the last thing. Book of Job. Mm. I think Book of Job is misunderstood by in some ways, and it's a, it's such a deep book that it's hard to say it's misunderstood. But I, maybe I should say what's underestimated about the Book of Job is the Book of Job should be read as a journey of meaning and what it is to walk with God. That we focus so much on the suffering of Job that we forget that he's actually walking with God. And if there's one thing to learn about life from Job, it's that God has to be enough. Mm, that right. at the end of the day, That's if good. you're saying, I got to have A, B, and C, or God isn't real. God doesn't work right. that way. Yeah. He's like, and I think when we all you know, get to wherever you get to where you figure it out, because you, know, you don't just go straight to heaven, you got to go to paradise first, and then you get judgment <laughs> of everybody, and I want to get in all that. But I'm just saying... When we let's just say when we get to heaven, I think we're gonna be shocked at how much we didn't get it. Right. <laughs> I think yeah. we're just gonna sit there and go, "It's you ever you ever um, you, you ever watch a movie, really good movie, mm-hmm. and you get to the end." Signs was like that for me. It's an old movie with Mel Gibson, but you get to the end of it and you're like, "I didn't get any of that right." <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think when we meet God, it's gonna be like, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm even sorry I said it. I'm sorry I, I, I I'm I'm gonna I think we're gonna be extraordinarily amazed. And that's that's a lot of adjective adjectiveness. <laughs> but we're gonna be extraordinarily amazed when we see God at just how off we were. Hmm. I think the one thing we don't want to be off on is that he should be at the center. And the book of Job places God at the center. His friends are constantly saying your behavior's wrong. Your behavior got it wrong. Yeah. And because your behavior is wrong, this is what's going to happen to you. If you get your behavior right, you're going to be in fine shape. If you get your behavior, and what does he correct them on? I think it's in chapter 42. God says, I'm angry at your friends because they've spoken inaccurately about me. Mm, yeah. He wasn't saying that they spoke inaccurately about the law or the rules of righteousness. He's saying, you said every time that if he doesn't do this right, I'll punish him. And if he does that right, I'll bless him. And that's not how it works. You've gotten it totally wrong. And I think that book of Job, if someone will just endure it, I've read it mm-hmm. a lot, and not get discouraged when some things are not easy to understand, and uh-huh. just keep thinking in your mind, what does Job do right the whole time? He continues to pursue God. 
Even when he's angry at God, even when he thinks God's been unjust, his focus is 100% on God. He never sits down with friends and says, hey, friends, I'm mad at you because of you've messed my life up. He says, you guys' help is useless. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because you're not helping me understand God. And then what does God do at the end with Job? He goes, look, he still got it wrong. I mean, you pursued me, and that's what I like, but you didn't understand me. And I think that's the hard part, and that's what relationship with God's all about. So I want to give people... Book of Job to take a look at reading about Jacob specifically uh, hunkering down in chapter 32. And if you really read up before that, if you don't want to read all about Job, I mean, Jacob, all the chapters, about 26 to 32 is pretty awesome. And you'll learn a lot. So I think those are some great places to go. Uh, It's interesting you bring up the book of Job because um, when I it was very helpful for me when I read the book of Job because I was going through a, a, the process of adoption. And yeah. honestly, I grew up pretty spoiled. I had everything. Yes, we've heard like, a lot. Like, Legendary. Like, I really have no complaints. You shouldn't. And then, Speak uh, for your parents. You shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I put them through a whole lot. But, <laughs> but, you know, I had everything. And then, but then having to wait uh, for, you know, to adopt... I started getting cynical and started thinking, uh, kind of started getting cynical about life. Like, you know what? Ooh. And got negative. And then I, I, I studied out the book of Job and I loved it because it kind of gave me the chills, you know? And I, wow. In verse 42, because I thought about it, Job was considered a very righteous man in the beginning. Yep. And then at the very end, I think everyone should read the book of Job. Uh, he goes on to say, um, uh, in verse 5, this is what Job says, I believe. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. And kind of elaborates on, he went through a whole journey. He yeah. thought he knew a whole lot. Yeah. But then later on, he's like, I thought I knew about it, but I actually didn't know anything about you. Now I'm seeing you in a whole new light. Wow. And I love it. When I read that, I'm like, man, there's so much. I could walk around arrogant like I, there's so much I don't know about God. Yeah. And I should be learning and growing. And when it's when I approach it as a journey, it's way more. There's less pressure to perform. It's like I'm, I'm just learning along the way. But when I read that, it, I literally was like, "Wow, man, there's so much I don't need. I don't know." And it, it really actually built my faith. And then God worked out everything, uh, and it kind of took him back to, "Wow, I'm just so I was." pouting and angry and thinking he wasn't answering prayers. He worked out everything perfectly. But you know, you know, you know, one thing I want to, and I think you're <laughs> saying this, I just want to underline it, and maybe Nick has a, a, a perspective on this too. I think we underrate how much God appreciates it when we're angry and we're upset and we're bothered with him mm. because that's a real relationship. If all you ever do is come in and say yes or no, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, yeah. then you don't truly, I mean, who does that in a relationship? Mm. Who always agrees in a relationship? Liars. Mm-hmm. Only people who ever always agree in a relationship are liars. They yeah. can't always agree. And you, even if you're cloned, you won't always agree. Yeah. Go watch Frankenstein. You know, you just don't always agree. It's just not going to happen. And so I think when you get in there with God and you're, I mean, I remember Abraham, you know, before Sodom and Gomorrah takes place, he's like, well, will you save people if there's this many? Will you save people yeah. if that many? Will yeah. you save yeah. people if that many? Okay, forgive me for doing this. But will you save? I think God wants the real us. And I think that's why people start to lose their desire to have quiet time. Because they, it's. I love what you said about your, you know, watching your parents have quiet times. You get, you have, you have great parents, and 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 the 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 problem is, 
no one can have a quiet time for you. Yeah. Yep. And so you can imitate someone doing it, but you can't get their experience. Right. And it's essential, I think, that everybody sit down and say, okay, let me stop worrying about my Christian buddies, my minister, the website I read, and whatever mm-hmm. it is you're doing. And let me ask the question, if God were to talk to me right now, would he say this is a satisfying relationship? Would he say, like Jesus said to the one man, he goes, I've not found such faith as yours in all of Israel. Hmm. Would he say to you, I, 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 that's what he felt toward Moses. That's what he felt toward David. He said, I found no one who has a heart for me the way you have it. And so often we're having a quiet time to fulfill the responsibility, which I, I've done that. And that's because that's part of human nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're structural. We tend to go, okay, how do I do it? Right. We don't tend to, we don't tend to relax and go, let me just kind of let it happen. That's hard for us as human beings. We want control. <laughs> right. So yeah. we go, okay, let me put some time on it. I'll do it for 45 minutes. I think 45 minutes is good enough. Let me call my friend. Do you think a 45-minute quiet time is good? Oh, I think it's incredible. Then it's good. You know. <laughs> but but what, what if in 45 minutes you're only just beginning to surface the emotions you have? Yeah. To quit then would be a mistake. Yeah. Right. Right? It's like, you know, it, it's what you said about d- dating, you know. If you quit on your relationship because there's been an argument, then you'll never get to the the deep dish pizza. Right. That's the goal. The deep dish pizza is the goal. But yep. if you stop on the plane to India and you just feel sick and nauseous <laughs> and go home and fall asleep, you don't realize you've missed out on the deep dish pizza. Right. And I think a lot of people are not getting through that. And I'm I'm talking about this because I've been through it. I've been through incredible stress of performing. And I spent years because I didn't know any better. And I don't think anybody understood me well enough to be able to say that's what I was doing. I don't know if they didn't understand themselves or they'd not seen it. I, I was getting into a religious form. Yeah. And it took a failure, a sin failure, leadership failure, um, um, uh, you know, uh, just an inability to be spiritual. I, I couldn't even find the language to describe. It's like Psalm 73 where it says you're a brute beast. Yeah. You're so right. unspiritual, so far from God. You're like knocking everything down on your way to trying to be a Christian. Unfortunately, I was around a lot of people who were like, okay, we think we friends. We understand. We forgive. We let it go. Yeah. But the struggle to actually have a relationship with God like you guys have described and make it consistent where you're at not just at peace because I think people hear at peace and they'll think, yeah, yeah, that's what I want, peace. Well, peace is the ability to accept your circumstances with gratitude, contentment, confidence mm. and a sense of destiny Mm-mm. peace is not just oh i feel better yeah it's way more than that yeah right. it's it's a security that says i may not have anything right now but it's uh it's uh it's it's coming it's coming god's going to do his thing and so i think it's important that people don't give up and i'm going to take us into another section of this in a minute it's important that people don't give up on what well, both of you have done a good job sharing on their relationship with God and on fighting it. And I like what you said, Nick, because there are a lot of people out there who've grown up in church, and the way you described it is, I think what's great about your relationship with God is listening to you is the honesty with which you assess it. And I think God gets pleased when we honestly assess. We may not be able to get there, yeah, but we can honestly say, it's a challenge for me to get past the ritual of quiet time. Yeah, And everybody does it. And for me, I think, when I read the book of Acts, the explosion of miracles occur when each Christian has this. Mm. 
But when you're trying to build some church and we're going to have a great church, you don't have great churches. You have great people in churches. There's no great church. And so I think that's a, that's just going to make a lot of people tired. But if you start having people, can you imagine what it was like when the 120 people gathered in the, in the attic or whatever it was in the upper place, whatever it was, and they were praying and they were like, like you guys just described, they were under serious distress. (laughs) Jesus is gone and he's left it to us. Oh no, you got to be kidding me. And they're up in that room and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we got this dropped on us. What are we going to do? This is a load. This is a burden. Maybe we should just give it up. And they're just praying. I think they're talking to God about it all. We'll never know what they're saying. I'm sure some of them are saying, how could you do this to us? Send Jesus back. He was only 33. He's got at least, he's LeBron at least, or Tom Brady at least. He's got a little bit more in his career. And they were stuck. And I think they were just desperate. Yeah, absolutely. And then all of a sudden, God's got, I got this thing. And next thing you know, you got miracles flipping out all over the place. That 120, I think they taught everybody a relationship with God because they had no, they had no institutional organization. They had no headquarters. How do you do that mess? Everybody had a relationship with God. Today's podcast is brought to you by the I'm Feeling Spotify playlist. If you're like us and don't always know how to express what you feel, music can be your voice. Music speaks to the soul and helps us express parts of ourselves that are too deep for words. Through music, we can understand and express our emotions, and we can use the music to help us feel closer to God. With this in mind, we launched a monthly I'm Feeling Spotify playlist. It's our hope that these songs can deepen our relationship with God by helping us to connect to emotions that may be difficult to explain, understand, or resolve. Every month, a new custom playlist will be published to help you connect closer to God. Head on over to deepspirituality.net to follow the Spotify playlist so you can stay up on the latest songs from some of your favorite artists. Again, that's deepspirituality.net. I'm feeling Spotify playlist. Now, back to the show. Let me talk to you guys about the next part that we just want to get in here. I don't know how much we'll get into it because it's kind of simple, but those who are listening may really enjoy it, which is how to get excited about reading the Bible. Because sometimes that's a hard thing, you know. You run into enough of those Old Testament words, you'll quit. I remember the first time I ever read the Bible, I write about this in there. You guys may have seen it. I write it. The Living Bible was the first Bible I ever read. And uh, I put a link into the document so people can go back and look at the cover that I originally saw back in 19, whatever it was. And um, I read, uh, I started reading it. I was a real reader when I was a kid. Like, I just read everything, Uh, you know. And my mom was a, a teacher. And she made sure that I loved reading somehow. And so if anything was laying around, I would go read it. It'd be a magazine, a newspaper. I would just read it. Even if I didn't understand what it was about, I would read it. And so she had brought this Bible home from her friend had given it to her or something. And so I grabbed it. Can I read this? And so I started reading it, and I was fascinated. I read Genesis. I was like, what? I didn't believe any of it. I just was reading it. I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. How cool is this? I didn't even, Actually, I should say I didn't even think about believing it. I just went, this is another book. And it was one of the most compelling histories I thought I'd ever read. I mean, what? This is, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I, what? Unbelievable. And the junk they do in Genesis, man. Yeah. I mean, wow. Like, How, how old were you? It, somewhere between 10 and 12. I don't think I was 11 or 12 because I'd been older. I'd have known more what was going on. I think it's probably 10. And so I was just plowing through, you know, uh, 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 Genesis. Then I got to Exodus. And I was like, what? Who is this dude, Moses? <laughs> I was like, this movie, Moses is a bad dude. I was really liking Moses. And then all of a sudden I got near the end of Genesis and it got thick with, you know, tie this thing around that, cut this thing here, build this tabernacle thing there. And I started getting tired. 
by the time I got done with Exodus, I was like, I can't read any more of this book. <laughs> and then I said, well, let me try the next one. And I started reading Deuteronomy, and I ran it, tied this thing up, cut the goat. And that's the last I read the Bible until I was 19. I never made it to the New Testament. I just stopped right there because I always read books from beginning to end. Makes sense. So wow. I never got to. And so I, I didn't love reading the Bible because I knew it was the Bible. I love reading the Bible because I love reading. And so one of the challenges, I think, if we're going to talk about reading the Bible is, can you get yourself to like reading? The beauty mm. of today is that you have audio Bibles, you have DVD Bibles, you have digital Bibles, you have digital Bibles that you can, you can actually play the audio for as you read along. There's Bibles on Amazon that you can get that you can actually play the audio on. So the beautiful thing about if you can get an audio Bible that connects to the digital Bible with Amazon, you can actually listen to the audio Bible on your smartphone if you have one of those, and when you go back to the Bible in your Amazon app or on your Amazon device, it'll take you exactly to where you left off. I don't think enough people are exploring it. Now, the thing I used to make a mistake on is telling people to read too much. I used to go, you have to read five to seven chapters a day. But some people can't. That's a lot to digest. And for me, reading, you know, like art, I can't do art. I can't draw anything. That's a crime. So I should be arrested if I ever try to draw something. <laughs> But I can read. So everybody has strengths and weaknesses. So one of the things I realize is you have to read up to the level that you can process. And so that will depend on different people. But let's go through this, and then when you guys can jump in here, I want to read this section of uh, step one in how to have a quiet time is selecting a Bible translation. I'll go ahead and read. Nehemiah 8, 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They were able to understand, and they listened attentively. Nehemiah 8.8. 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. The Living Bible was the first Bible I ever read. I was not a Christian, just a young kid attracted to an untraditional cover with live-action photos entitled The Way instead of The Bible. What the King James failed to do, this unconventional volume achieved as I began to read because of personal accessibility, not academic accuracy. On one occasion, I was speaking with a Christian publisher and shared this story, at which point he responded saying, the Living Bible was the first Bible he ever read. The relevance of this story is that the Living Bible is a paraphrase, a translation often dismissed as inaccurate and useless. Yet according to Wikipedia, in 1972 and 1973, the Living Bible was the best-selling book in the U.S. By 1997, 40 million copies of the Living Bible had been sold. I am not advocating everyone make the Living Bible their singular or primary translation but that when selecting a translation of Scripture, the bragging rights of accuracy are meaningless without accessibility. And you can check out the link on the article to why are there different Bible translations. In short, if I don't understand it, if it fails to capture my attention, if it lacks clarity, and I end up walking away without any idea of the meaning, then the Word of God will have no effect. And there's a link to an article called In Bible Translation Tribalism, which refers to how people pick a translation and dismiss all the others or denigrate all the others. 
What follows are four categories of translations to get you started. Pick two if you can. Personally, I use more than eight. One that is accessible and another that is accurate. And remember, you can select either print, digital, audio, or a DVD Bible. And again, there are links to all of those to get you to one or more copies of that variety, print, digital, audio, or a DVD Bible. And so here are my recommendations, and then I'm going to get Martin and Nick's thoughts on this uh, part about enjoying reading the Bible and uh, selecting a translation. You can talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Okay. The ones I recommend for accuracy, the New Revised Standard Version, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard. And those are commonly considered, especially New Revised Standard and New American Standard, among the elite in accuracy of translation. Recommended for reading accessibility, New International Version, and Good News Translation. So to give you an illustration, and I don't want people to get offended or upset, the New American Standard, because of its slightly more archaic language, is considered a 12th grade reading level, whereas the New and International and the Good News Translations are more like 7th grade, 6th grade reading level. Now people may say, well, I don't want to read the easy reading level, I want to read the hard. Okay, here's the thing. Most politicians in the country who speak, speak to us at a 6th or 7th grade reading level. The point is to communicate, not to come up with words you don't understand. And so I think that, that, that we have to get rid of this pride of, oh, i got to read the hard translation. Why don't we read the translation we can understand yeah. and not get worried about it? You know, I think, I think that all translations are pretty good. Recommend it for emotional accessibility, New Living Translation, the Passion Translation. The reason I picked those two translations for emotional accessibility is that mean if you want to get more in touch with your emotions and feel more of an emotional connection with God, those two translations really work. And then finally, recommended for variety, Amplified Bible, God's Word Translation, New King James Version of the Bible. I use the New King James instead of the King James. The King James is accurate. The King James is good. I read the King James. I still have the King James Version, but almost no person born after 1930 does a very good job of comprehending the King James Version of the Bible, and especially nobody born after 1980. So you have to kind of you know, understand that. Now, I'm sure there's going to be somebody who was born after 1930 that's going to say, I have mastery of the King James Version. Okay, congratulations. That was my point, but good for you. I'm proud of you. I respect you. I admire you. Um, all right. So what are you guys thinking? First, you know, I love reading the New Living Translation. Uh-huh. That's my favorite. Oh, wow. uh, cool. That, uh, that's the one I, I, usually my go-to. Uh, but I began reading the... NIV, the New International Version, uh, but it's interesting. Kind of after reading this, I'm like, hmm, I need to uh, get familiar with the, you know, the the accuracy ones. Mm. I need to get a lot more familiar with, you know, the New Revised Standard you know, I've Version. I've had a lot of people who've read this say that to me. That's yeah. funny. You know, it's it's, it's interesting because I, I find myself probably one of the one of the people that I found myself in in what you wrote here. Yeah. In terms of the academic pride. That kind of thing. That's yeah. that's where I can lean. Oh, and so okay. I actually, I actually really enjoy the the New American Standard Bible. Yeah, yeah it's um, good. It is. I hey, like there's it. no doubt. It's great. I actually like that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm definitely weird. Um, <laughs> that's most very, people I that's know very, don't. That's very, that's very Stanford of you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's just get that one out <laughs> of the table. Santa Clara Stanford. I actually enjoy the New American Standard. I thought it was written at a third grade reading level. <laughs> no, no, no. Go Cardinal. No, but, <laughs> Go Cardinal. No, I understand. I'm I'm definitely uh, abnormal on that one, but but no, I do. You're not abnormal, but I, I, get I definitely more. lean more. I think I lean more to the academic side of things, yeah, and so yeah. I think 
But I also, I love, I mean, I, I probably have read the NIV more than anything else. Yeah. Right now, I'm currently reading more NLT than anything. Yeah. And I love supplementing with the Amplified Bible. What, what do um, you guys find? I mean, I love what you're saying. What do you find, ha- why, why do you think it's, it's helpful for people to switch translations from time to time? I, I think, for, so my understanding and my belief about it and, and thought about it is that kind of what you're writing here, um, I think our, since we weren't there like when Jesus spoke, right, or we weren't there when, yeah. during Moses' time, there's so many things that happen even in the translation or happen culturally yeah. or, or emotionally that yeah. we don't always get to see. I remember being at, at Santa Clara and I was, in a, I was in a class where we were talking about the English language versus other languages. And there was a guy there who was Greek and he was talking about modern Greek language. Yeah. And he goes, well, English is a, what they ca- call an explicit language. So right. not meaning like uh, we say what we mean. So like yes. if Precise. I, yeah, if I want the water, I say, I want the water, right? That's it. And he was saying, and I don't know if this is true because I don't know any Greek, yeah. but, he, but he speaks <laughs> Greek. And he was saying, yeah, you know, it's funny. If I want someone to pick me up, I say, I don't say, hey, can you pick me up? I say, hey, where's the car? And I thought that was really interesting because I think even, so when we translate something from, you know, the way Jesus said it to English, so many things get lost in terms of the, the, the double meaning that, that, that was there. Even the scripture that I was reading earlier about how the soul thirst for God, that the, the literal translation would say the neck thirst for God, right? In right. the Hebrew, it actually says neck. Right. But if we were to literally translate neck, that wouldn't make sense to us because what they meant back then was, was soul or yeah. like our, you know, our spiritual being, right. you know? And so I think there's so many things like that yeah. that get lost when we just focus on the literal, that we need that kind of like emotional or that, that visual, that uh, almost like, like artistic language sometimes that 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 comes through in translation because i think that's how people heard it back when they were when i think you i think so. you i think you're 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 right and you're you're leaning toward the academic even in your description because you <laughs> yeah. know most people don't want to think that deeply about uh whether or not it was the neck or it was the the torso <laughs> right. uh, uh and i i don't say that as an insult i mean i'm more i'm probably a little tiny no i'm probably more in your lane as far as when i tackle it and i've read about it but i've thought a lot about this so and I, I try to write about it in there. I think the dilemma with translation should be moved away from the Bible into, say, Russian literature. Okay, did you ever take any Russian? Or did you guys take literature classes at all? Yeah, yeah, uh, but not, not Russian, Russian literature. Not Russian. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Russian, but a foreign. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it could be. It could be. Uh, it could be uh, Latin American literature. Yeah, it could yeah. be anybody. Yes, but so so when you when you read a translation of say uh, uh, Don Quixote's right then I never sat down and said, I don't know if I want to read this translation of Don Quixote. I just read it. Right, yeah. What's interesting (laughs) to me is the translation skill to translate any form of literature is the same. The sacred texts are more, there's more at stake, and so we get more emotional at it. Yeah. One One of the things that happens in literature is that you will have multiple translators of, say, Dostoevsky, Russian literature. I like Russian literature. You have multiple translators. People go, oh, I like his translation for this reason. I like his translation for that reason. I think where we get into the deep waters that become difficult is when we think that a guy living in the 21st century that knows Greek even really understands what they really meant when they said it back then. Mm. Did they really say, where is the car? 
<laughs> I don't know. And fright, frankly, neither does he. And so one of the reasons that's, and I think that guy's accurate. I'm with him. One of the reasons that I like a lot of translations is, and you're making this point, is when you put them all together, you don't need to know Greek. The constellation that's been built yeah. of all the different translations, it gives the average person a chance to sit down and say, I can figure out what the Bible says on my own. I don't need a professor. I don't need this big time, you know, uh, theologian to do it. And that may make a bunch of people upset that they've that way. But I think that I think what Martin Luther was all about, if you go back to history, he was all about the individual person should be able to read the Bible for themselves and they should be able to understand it. And I don't think the Bible is so complicated. You can't understand it. I think we need motivation. I think we need inspiration. I think sometimes we can get off the deep end, but most of the times when we get into inaccuracies, I don't know. It's usually because we're we're getting funky, personally. You know what I'm saying? Like it. Like yes. How, it, if Jesus went to the well, or if Jesus looked at the well, or if Jesus went by the well, if he ended up getting water, that's all we really need to know. Yeah. And I think for a lot of Christians, I think they end up running into the train wreck of, I've got to be really brilliant to understand this. No, you don't. Yeah. And I think it's important that people don't believe that. And I think you've identified a deterrent, uh, Nick to people reading is that they get caught up in that academic space. Now I like talking about the academic space because you do learn things. One of my favorite things is when you learn that the word confess means to agree with and agree. That's really helpful. And you go, Oh, I get that. But if you look at translations of the Bible, you read enough of them, you'll start to get the feel for that anyway. Yeah. And so I think going back to the original question, which is what, how do we get excited about reading the Bible is I think a, 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 a reading of the Bible that is, you know, more spiritual is more helpful. Yeah. So we're going to jump ahead real quick before we wrap it up because the things that we're talking about really go to step four in the article. So we're just going to jump right to them. I wasn't planning on doing that. I probably should have. Um, and I just want to hit a few things because we'll cover this in totality in another podcast. But there are four ways of reading the Bible that I wrote about. Number one, spiritual reading, pursuing the spiritual meaning for faith and the heart to please God. Number two, literary reading, finding emotional and visual inspiration in the language of Scripture. Number three, intellectual reading, learning about biblical time, place, culture, and history. And number four, theological reading, academic study of religious ideas, doctrine, and concepts of God. And so what we were getting into really is the variety of ways to read. Yeah. I actually believe that we need to leave intellectual and theological till later and that we have to focus on spiritual and literary, because until we understand the spiritual meaning, get faith, get a heart to please God, get an emotional connection and a visual inspiration from the language of Scripture, it's going to be really, really difficult to not become very dry and staid and powerless in our reading of Scripture. I'm not against at all knowing biblical time, place, culture, and history. I think I, I, I know some of that. But my concern is that I can know biblical time, place, culture, and history and not know God. Yeah. And so I think you got to be careful right there and go, wait a minute now, before I know what kind of bird flew out of the ark, maybe I need to figure out why they were in the ark for the first place. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That makes sense. What are you guys thinking? Because we're going to wrap on this one. Yeah. I I really enjoyed reading this part of the article because I think it's really easy for me to, I'm more of the emotional, like even the translations I like, I, I connect more with the emotional than the academic side of things. And uh, so we got a we got an opposite over here, Nick. Yeah, yeah, opposite. <laughs> Nick and That's I right. are over there That's fighting right. to read the New American Standard, and the, That's right. it, you got it. You got you got it. You know when you got to check. Well, I'll tell you later. 
There's another one you got to check out. Okay, I don't yeah. know how Nick is academic, though, when he thinks the Pelicans would go into the playoffs. But anyways, <laughs> let, 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 let's, let, let's stay focused. Let's I, stay focused. We said <laughs> academics, not analytics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good Dude, point. See, good point. A, good point. Analytics good point. study for the purpose that, of understanding how to win your basketball game. Academics just study the history of basketball. <laughs> so he, 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 he can tell you about the past, but we got to talk about the future. Anyway. Uh, Anyway, right. time will tell. Some of our some some of our listeners are going to go. What in the world is analytics? Basketball <laughs> analytics is the thing, man. You get some nerdy guy who's never played basketball, and he's in charge of the whole thing. <laughs> Here's where you need to shoot. You've never shot a basketball in your life, yes? But analytics tell me if you shoot from 12 to 15 feet out, you will score 70 percent of your shots. Anyway, yeah. so, but Nick's an academic. He's a scholar. He is. He Nick's, is. Nick's a Stanford Santa Clara guy. Yes, he is. I'm an East Coast guy. Mm. You're kind of an East Coast guy too. You came to the West. You came to the West though to betray the, the 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 East Coast education. But we won't get into that. <laughs> yeah, I love Boston the West, is really man. the Boston's the capital of the East Coast. By the way, not no, New it's York. New York. It's New York. New York, man. It is New York. You, you going to New York? You can't debate when that. When you go to when you go to New York, you, it's like I mean, I visited a lot of third world countries. Why do oh, I need to see one in America? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you haven't been to Nigeria then. Huh? <laughs> hey, don't insult that country. Oh boy. Anyway, All right, Martin, so, is from, Martin, yeah. Martin 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 is, has roots in Nigeria and New York, so All I right, have to so. get on him and the Spurs. Yes, that's and the whole have. reason. Just so everybody understands, the whole reason he's upset with Nick predicting the Pelicans has one thing, Nick. That's right. It's because he fears that if the Pelicans get in the playoffs, the Spurs won't. No, I told him. Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. did. Tell okay. me that. See, see, I told him. that's what this is all about. Absolutely. Motives. Yes. Motives. You need to. You need no see, secrets in here. That's why you need more <laughs> academic reading of the Bible. <laughs> You've been getting all emotional about the Spurs. That's it. They're gonna. That's, that's it, Nick. That's, He's that's all emotional about the Spurs. <laughs> Get the academic reading. That's it. That's <laughs> hilarious. Anyway, back to the point. Yes. So, back to the point. You're emotional, so yes, yes, yes. This is. I'm enjoying this, but. I see that the spiritual reading, you know, pursuing the spiritual meaning for faith and the heart to please God. Yeah. I absolutely agree that I think that's the most important, but I can get away from that easily when I'm worried about, when I'm full of anxiety, worried about people, think about myself. I can forget that the most important thing is actually getting my faith and my heart at a place where I care about pleasing God. Yes. And what I enjoy about the different translations is it gives me more depth. When I read the different ones, I just get more depth about God, and I don't think it's confusing at all. It's pretty it's pretty clear what God wants from yeah. us. And so— Well, one of the reasons, and I want to engage Nick on this a little bit, because he was saying he leans toward academic, and we mm-hmm. can benefit from a little conversation— my feeling about the academic side or the intellectual side, the intellectualization of Scripture, so to speak, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think what it does is it protects us from, say, doing what a lot of people will do. Well, I want to read Psalms because it makes me feel better. I actually think people may think that's spiritual and literary reading, but it's not. It's superficial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what the academic or intellectual side does is it makes you read the Psalms for the reason they were written. The Psalms were written to teach us how to pray, but the Psalms were also written to teach us about God. That's where there's so much description about God, how to engage him. And I do think it matters when you know, when you want to really get depth out of certain things, it does matter when you read accurate translations. So for instance, if you read, I don't want to, the message is fine by me, but sometimes that thing gets so bloated 
with yeah. words. Yes, I agree. And then if you go read, say, the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, it'll take away some of that emotion yeah. and get you down to the reality of what they're saying. And I think what academics is about, it's about putting your emotions to the test and saying, you shouldn't have to feel emotionally good about every single thing you read in the Bible because truth doesn't always feel good. And so sometimes you want to break out one of these translations that's very accurate to make yourself sit down and say, hey, what he's talking about is getting in the car. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and not the, you know, the flowery language of, oh, when we walk down the street and we could feel the golden shine of the sun on our back and <laughs> smell the new car smell of the car and it made me want to drive. Whereas you go to an accurate translation, it may say, you need to get in the car and drive. Yep. I don't think either are wrong. And I'm not, I, I think that goes to what you're talking about, about like understanding culturally how they may talk. Some languages talk that way, but also accuracy makes you go, yeah, let me take all that, you know, mm -hmm. Aunt Jemima syrup off the pancake and just, just eat the doggone pancake, right? So I think it's important to have both to balance yeah, our I emotions. So. Yeah, I, I think it's funny as as I was, this was probably my favorite part of, of the reading, actually. Like, oh, yeah? I, yeah, I really appreciated this. It gave me a lot of insight even on, on myself, but also others as, yeah. as, you know, talking with people, help, helping people, me getting help from, from those people. Sure. So, um, but but I, as I was thinking about it, it's it's and you could tell me if if you disagree but but the way i was i was thinking about it was there's certain i i compared it to songs songs that i like yes and there's some songs that i like now they're yeah. one of my, some of my favorite songs and when i first heard them i actually really didn't like them at all yes and i heard them i was like this is a horrible song this isn't even music yeah and the more i listened to it <laughs> i've been there the more, the more i was like oh wow I, i'm starting to get it yeah yeah and there's other songs that i like and the first time I heard them, I, I was just really like, it really hit something with me. Yeah. And I still listen to them because, but it was initially it really hit something. Yeah. And, and maybe I got even more into the artist after that. Mm. And I think there's, there's, there's something similar to that. And when I'm looking at this, like, cause I do think that there is something to, uh, the, like for me, I can enjoy the intellectual reading. And so if I enjoy, if I enjoy that, that might get me started. Yes. But I have to at least know that that's what I'm doing yes. and go, I can't settle with that and stop there. I have point. to pursue the spiritual reading, literary reading. So for me, it's I, I don't I don't necessarily think one of these is necessarily bad even to get started yeah. or any of those things. Yeah. Um, but I think if you stay there, kind of what yeah. you're talking about, yeah. you'll miss the intended you know, meaning or the intended message and, that God has for us. And so what Nick is talking about, just so you understand, because you, you, many of you haven't read it yet, <clears throat> in step four I think we're looking at, um, I talk a lot about in there that the way to build your relationship with God, really, you need to nail the first two, spiritual and literary. That that gets you in a walk with God, a connection to God. What Nick is saying is that doesn't mean, and I don't write about this because I didn't think about it, that doesn't mean that if you come at it and you really enjoy reading it from an intellectual point of view or a theological point of view, that you need to go, oh, this is bad, i got to stop doing it. He's saying what that means is you've got to recognize that's what you're doing right. and that if you're not careful— and you don't get into the spiritual and literary, you could, I, I, I think this would be safe to say, you're saying you could end up with a disconnect in your relationship yep. with God. And so, I, 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 no, I think that's a great insight. And, and I, I think a lot of people will get discouraged if, if, if someone like you doesn't say, hey, this is where I'm coming at it from, and this is how I read it, and that kind of thing. Right, yeah, and I think, 
I think for me, honestly, if I just if I just stay in kind of like a philosophical sense or a theoretical sense or you know intellectual, right? As, as you're talking about yeah. here, uh, yeah, it really lacks depth. I don't think that's what God intended. Uh, I know for me, a lot of times I can read the Bible. I go, this is a great idea. I feel happy. You know, yeah, yeah. I found a great idea. I yeah. feel smarter. I don't know, more insightful. <laughs> right. Um, but then I don't do anything. I don't live it. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't show in the rest of my day. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that's what God intended. Hey, for, I've been there. For, <laughs> I used to, you, one of the re, and you know, it's it. I, I appreciate everything you guys bringing up in this last thing you brought up because I can't possibly in writing. You can't possibly anticipate other people's experiences. But one of the things that made me gravitate toward the spiritual and the literary was that I did naturally read intellectually and philosophically. And I turned the Bible into a reference book to how to be effective Christian and how to be an effective leader in the church. And guess what it made me? Very ineffective, very unspiritual, and very hard to be around in my opinion. Now, not everybody felt that way, but that I I felt like this is terrible. (laughs) And so, um, I, and I don't think it was anybody's fault, but it was where I came from. So I, my life actually makes your point. I started there, and I then, because what I did is I, I started with the NIV. I read some stuff, and I was like, this isn't even the most accurate. I tossed the NIV. <laughs> I went to the New American Standard. Then I was like, wait a minute, the Revised Standard. I think that's more accurate. So I got myself a Harper Study Bible, Revised Standard, tossed that New American. So I kept chasing What's the hardest translation? What's considered? I read the King James regularly, I, and and I was I was like I know the King James, you know, like I knew a foreign <laughs> language or something, and so I think you're really right about that. But I'll tell you, it caused a lot of pain in my life, yeah. and I actually think what we can say, and we can kind of I'll let Martin get a last thing in here, but what we can say is this, and I think I write this: you really have to bring all four of them together, yeah, yeah. and you're not going to do well if you don't. But I do think the spiritual one. When you're reading intellectually, if you're not reading with intellectual right. spiritualization of the Bible, mm. you're in danger. And so I think that that's probably what we want. And, what and we I'll just remember. I'll just add one more thing about that is because as we're talking about you know how to really enjoy your time with God or, and, and be motivated in that, right. and I think it's it's for me if I, if all I do is stick with that, then eventually I'm going to stop enjoying it because yep. it's not real. Yep. And I think the thing that really makes the Bible incredible and and what makes it so exciting it talks about that in Hebrews four twelve is that it's alive and active. And if we're not if we're not applying it in, yes. the, in the spiritual sense or even like the literary sense, like you're talking about, then all of a sudden that life, that activity goes away, and it stays just intellectual and theoretical. And, and so I think maybe initially it gets me excited, you know, but but eventually uh, I it kind of it kind of wears out. And so yeah. I think in order to really enjoy your time with God, I think yeah, it's okay to have that right to have that kind of theoretical. So at least for me. But if that's all I'm doing, eventually it'll die out. And to really enjoy the Bible, I really have to be willing to be vulnerable with God, mm. um, really go to the heart. Um, awesome. And and that's what really makes it an enjoyable, exciting, active, alive, dynamic experience. I love the whole thing you're saying, so. man. That's sweet. You know, when I read this part of it, it was very helpful to me. It made me think of a, a scripture in 1 Corinthians 8, in verse 1, it says, Now regarding your question, about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. And I I thought about, you know, the danger of reading it to get knowledge or to, you know, know something, be smarter, and losing the important thing is actually getting to 
know God and love God. And, yeah. and I, I see that as the spiritual reading, developing the, developing the faith and then the heart to please God. Yeah. So that's kind of what I thought about that scripture. I'm like, to me at least, I believe that's what I have to focus on the most. Yeah. Uh, because I believe that helps my heart be, you know, pure and have the right motivation, you know, behind everything I do. And so, so I think what we're saying, and, 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 and you're going to have your own particular thing. You may come at it, like I, I write in the paper how I came at it from a literary point of view once I heard my English, my literature professor talk. I was like, whoa, this guy is smoking. I had never seen the Bible taught like that. And I can quite frankly tell you, he didn't have, he didn't have faith, but he taught it better than a lot of people I've heard it taught. I mean, that dude was real because we did Ulysses first and then he went and he would talk about how Jesus and Ulysses were similar. And he, he may, he'd say Ulysses is the kind of guy I'd walk into a room and sit with his back to the wall because he wanted to keep an eye on everybody. And then we'd study Jesus and he'd go, Jesus was the type of guy. I mean, it was just incredible. Yeah. And I, it taught me to read the Bible and make it come alive in my mind. And that's a little bit more what I mean by literary. It's not yeah. that you're, you're not taking the Bible seriously. I yeah. actually think the literary form of reading is someone is intellectual. Right. Because you're actually yep. reading it, you're trying to you're trying to understand it. Where is he at? What culture is he yeah. in? What's yeah. the history? What were the what were these Pharisee dudes like? Let me go read a commentary and check that out. Oh boy, I didn't know that. You know, yeah, yeah. or yeah. I didn't know that. You know, I didn't know that the hill where the Samaritan was right. at. I didn't know it was so dangerous. Now you read the history of it. Like, Whoa, that was really dangerous. You just yeah. if you get carried away, like you're saying, Nick, if you get carried away and you know all about the culture, all about the history, and you don't know that God was part of it. Exactly. Then that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. No matter where you stand, no matter where you're at, we're trying to get you excited and inspired about having a quiet time. www.deepspirituality.net is where you can find the podcast. It's where you can find um, uh, the articles, and you'll find a lot more to come. Uh, and and you can also uh, go on and to the podcast wherever you listen to our podcast, and you can subscribe, and you can like it, and you can rate it as five stars. Five stars only. If you didn't like the podcast today, five stars only. If you did like the podcast today, five stars only. Five stars. You want to be a star. You want to make stars. Why not five? Uh, <laughs> anyway, appreciate the help, the, the help you'll give us on that because it helps people find us. When you like it or you share it, it helps people find us, and we're getting more and more people uh, I think I've mentioned before, you know, we, we just uh, jumped over 2,000 listeners to each podcast and more and more people are finding out about it. And the more and more you more you let people know about it, the, 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 the better off they'll be, the better off you'll be, the better off we'll be and more we can churn things out. Thanks to all of you who've been giving us ideas about what to talk about. We know some of you wanted more on Quiet Times. And so we're trying to deliver. Thanks to Nick. Thanks to Martin. Thanks to our producer, Nathan. Have a wonderful week and uh, happy autumn. This is Deep Spirituality, and we're done for the day. <laughs>